0: We create really good resident experiences. Like we have three kind of guiding lights. It's how do we create a resident experience so good that they never want to move? How do you create an investor experience so good? They don't want to sell, they want to buy more. And mm-hmm. then how do you create mm-hmm. a team experience mm-hmm. so good? They want to be in this business forever. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won it's ever fought. Think about it.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today, I have the esteemed Thad Tarkington, the man, the myth, the legend of second nature origins. Thad, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. My man, I want to hear some more about your backstory. I want to hear about the journey. Give me, give me the uh, the DC Marvel origin story of how Thad became Thad. How is it that you came into entrepreneurship? Was that a dream, an aspiration? What what did you want to be when you were a kid?
0: Yeah. Whew. Well, um when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional skateboarder. So nice. I used to uh, I used to skateboard like 10 hours a day. And um, non-stop, absolutely loved it. You know, Shout
1: out to Bob Abbott, right?
0: Yeah, yes, yes. We've, we've talked about skating many a time. So uh, absolutely loved it. Never wanted to be a firefighter, an astronaut, you know, just just like skating. Honestly, never really thought about, um, you know, a career too much. When I went to college, I actually remember it was just senior year and everyone's applying to schools. I'm like, I just picked a couple state schools. Like, didn't visit them, didn't Google them. I'm like... Okay, NC State. I've heard of that one. Just filled out a couple applications and went to college. So there really was no uh, was no master plan. But I would say on like the entrepreneurship front, uh, right before I headed off to NC State, there's um, a company called uh, Cutco Cutlery. They sell kitchen knives. Absolutely, um, well known. And um, I uh, I got this letter in the mail, and it's like, Hey, do you want to come? I, they market it by like appointment you earn and pretty, pretty high dollar amount relative to the other jobs you can get, you know, working at a restaurant or wherever before college. So I, know I go ahead and do this interview, end up getting a, a job there and uh, sold some kitchen knives that summer and actually went pretty well, you know, sold a good amount, made a good amount of money and then ended up the next summer I ran an office for him and did pretty well with that. And yeah, you know, I remember I was sitting in college and it's just like, all right, you go four years, you get a degree, you go get a job at IBM. And I'm sitting there thinking, all right, I'm making in one summer almost what I would make an entry-level at an entry level job in IBM. Now granted, I mean, that was a lot of work. I wouldn't work at that pace, but I'm like, okay, I can sell knives year round, make more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, significantly more than I would make probably an entry level job. And so, um, not that I necessarily wanted to do that for a career, but it's just like, we kind of jog, I'm like, all right, there's options out there, right? Like, mm-hmm. it made me think, I should say. And then, um, you know, I liked, you know, running the office, it was set up as like you know you're at 1099, you set up your own business, and so like they very much promoted it as like running your own business, um, which I guess technically you know to an extent it is, and so that was interesting. Um, I was in the business school and again. There was like never once was a, like oh, I want to be a business. Like I I actually think there was like a drop down menu when applying. And they're like all these things, and like B was like second on the list. I was like business sounds fine. Like that like just very like you know unintentional mm-hmm. about going to college, and. Um, so but ended up doing this was interested in business started to get drawn into it in my sophomore year i ended up starting to run the collegiate entrepreneurship organization so if you've heard of like eo or like yp it's like that but for college so you know ended up i met a guy um he was running the club we became friends and then he's like hey i'm actually you know leaving school um i think he was actually dropping out to go start a business and was like do you want to run the club so i ended up becoming the president of the club and then um I was in an entrepreneurship class and i never used Excel in my life. And I remember the, the professor's like, uh, everyone, you know, pull out Excel, we're going to do some things. And this guy's sitting in front of me, pops it up, he's clicking around real quick. And I'm like, hey, man, can you show me how to use this? Like, I've never even, like, I don't even know what Excel was. And... Um, he goes, "Yeah, sure." He's like equals 1 plus 1 and then you hit it and it's like 2. I'm like, "Whoa." I was like, "That's cool." <laughs> so we start talking and this ends up this the person I met was my co-founder who I ended up starting uh, Second Nature with. Uh so we, you know, we meet, we're talking, I mentioned the entrepreneurship club. He's like, "Oh, I actually wanted to join that." So he ends up coming to run the club with me. So we're running this club and um you know, effectively we would be bringing in investors, entrepreneurs, um really the kind of main groups, so a lot of folks that like in and around entrepreneurship, and so we hear all these cool stories of you know all kinds of different businesses um, that people were building, you know, from everything from consulting to tech companies to venture back to bootstrap, you name it, just a lot of cool stuff. And I think it really piqued our interest, um, in, like in business in general. And I remember I started joking to people, I was like, if I graduate from NC State, like I've, I've failed. Like there's so many opportunities. So I'm like, I mean, I'll keep going to class. Like maybe it will happen. But I was like in my head, I'm like, I want to do something different. Um, and so we ended up, uh, you know, stumbling across this idea, uh, my co-founder, you know, when we originally started it was just, a, um, you know, filter delivery service direct to consumer. And we started November, 2012, like we created the business mid 2013, we launched it. So, um, you know, we started talking about this business model and it, and it really was just like, you know, Thursday afternoon, we're talking about it. Friday afternoon, we're still talking about it. Saturday, we're running financial models. Like, Sunday, we're trying to build a website. And, like, for you know, it's like, I guess we started business. Like, there was never, like, a, hey, do you want to do this? We just just kind of happened. And, um, you know, come March, we ended up, we uh, got accepted this accelerator program, uh, which was an interesting story how we got into that. But got into that and then um, ended up dropping out of school to go do it. So that was kind of, like, you know, the the history. So I'd say it, it started with a, uh, with um selling some kitchen knives.
1: Sling and steel.
0: Sling and steel, yeah. So, and, made, you know, and actually met a lot of cool people through that as well, and, and and that's been a good network as well, folks.
1: Yeah, clearly there's a lot of connections now within the company of folks that have come out of that kind yeah. of background. I'm a big believer in environmental as being an overwhelming factor. You think about improving willpower, sitting in a room filled with donuts and chocolate and getting better and better at resisting, or just clearing mm. out the donuts and the chocolate, you know? Two different ways to solve for the same problem. In this case, environment, the exposure, the access that you got as a result of being in this club—that felt like a. Is it fair to say that felt like a, a really influential and kind of determinative factor in creating the vision for you?
0: Yeah. I uh, first, of all, I think that's really interesting. I've heard of the don't have the donuts, but I don't think I've I've heard or uh, talked to anyone who's like, no, twelve hot glazing donuts every day at the desk. That's a. Uh, might try that. Um. Yeah. So I think the environment was huge because you know if if you look at um, you know where we spent our time, it was all right. We need to get you know running this club. Hey, we need to get um speakers investors. So it's like all right, we're looking up companies. You know, we're talking. It gives us a good reason to talk to some of the senior professors. Hey, who do you know? We're networking. It's like, you know, just start to see what's out there. And when they'd come in and talk, like we got to meet with them before and after, kind of prep the interviews and like, you know, it's just I mean. it's hard to think back to it now, but I'm like, we just didn't know anything, right? Mm. Like, mm. people would come in and just, be like, you know, I, I remember this one person came in and, and uh, spoke and, uh, you know, they had this, like, transit business. They put, like, GPSs on, um, on buses and, like, it started as an accident and then they went into a meeting with uh, NC State and I think it was, they basically were describing what they could do and they're like, wait, that's cool. And they're like, "What does it cost?" And they accidentally said like 120,000 instead of like 1,200 bucks. Like, you know, just it was one of these things where like they accidentally got a nice deal and like turned into this business. And I'm just sitting here I'm like, wait, like all the time I look at the bus and the and these little red dots we around the map. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, wait, like you made this GPS chip, you put it on a bus software, to, and then you sold. It. And I'm like, and it's just like you know, it's like a fire hose. You're just it's like you're sitting there at night, it's like like fascinated. And I'm like, now I'm like, I can't look at this map the same. And like, so you, you caught the bug. Multiply that by a hundred, right? Of just these interactions. And like, I would say the environment, absolutely. Like, and then when we started working on the business, you know, just being a part of that club, having the resources, I mean, like we had already built relationships with people. I think one of our, you know, one of, I would say our best mentors who have helped us in the business actually ended up, you know, investing early on with us, like indirectly came through that club. Um, There was, there was a funny story with that one, but like I tried to get them to speak three times and they canceled on me, but then ended up because of that club that that's how we had heard of them. So I think, um, yeah, the environment is huge. So glazed donuts in the desk.
1: You mentioned not knowing what you were doing. And in many ways, that's the story of entrepreneurship isn't like the blessing of not knowing. Cause if you knew, there are certain things that you wouldn't have done that you're glad you did. But if you knew on the front side, it might've disqualified what did you think you were getting into with entrepreneurship and, and what has the actual experience been like these years later? What was your kind of initial conception and contrast that versus the actual journey?
0: Hmm. Whew. So, yeah, I mean, w- when we got started, you know, to your point there, like we really didn't know what we were getting into. It's just, it, I think it was exciting you know, like we were working 20 to 21 hours a day and like this is not any exaggeration. I know people like, ah, I work 100 hours a week. I'm like, yeah, you probably work like 60. But like, you know, we were, you know, we are in college, didn't have anything to talk when you're, down. when you're
1: physically capable of working 21 yeah, hours right. a day.
0: Yeah. And I don't do this now, by the way. <laughs> like this was like, like we were just like hooked. Like we would sit there and there was this like office space um, at the university. It was like this entrepreneurship space and there's a conference room. And I remember like we put a sign up on the door. It's like our office, is, like just with a crown. You know? nice. And uh, and I remember we sit in there and they had this little couch. I mean, no bigger than this couch. And I actually was less comfortable with like two arms. And like, we'd just be sitting there and like, till we like fell asleep on the table and like would go like pull the couch cushions off, sleep on the floor. And like, we just were in this room like 24 hours a day would sleep a couple. And like, that's all we did. it. We were hooked. And so I think like there was not a lot of, you know, sitting down and thinking like, hey, what's entrepreneurship going to be like? Mm -hmm. You know, and the expectations. I mean, I think at the time, like, hey, if we could like, you know, do over a million dollars in sales, that sounds like a really big number. Like, you know, (laughs) I'm like, I think I had like a couple thousand bucks. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and I was just like, that's a huge number. Like, I don't know if we'll ever get there. Um, You know, and so like, it was very much like, you know, you hear these like aspirational things. like That sounds exciting, but like, you know, I remember at one time we are like, yeah, maybe like one day we'll have a couple people on the team and like, I think, you know, and you're getting all this conflicting information. I think like one day my co-founder read like, four hour work week and he's like, we need to automate this all and work like two hours. I'm like, that's a great idea. And like the next day we're like, wait, but like, you know, Steve Jobs worked a hundred hours a week. We're like, what do we do? You know? <laughs> but like, and it wasn't like, what do we do? We just like, I just felt like we were like, not a lead win, But like, yeah, you know, we're just kind of like, yeah. you know, just moving. But the main thing is like, we just, we did like, kept our, our foot on the gas and like just move learn Obviously, every time you know we, we settled into a cadence but um yeah i think um the so it's hard to say like what the expectations were because i think it was just like all anything sounded exciting mm-hmm. anything you just want to be in the game yeah anything sounded better than like you know, i would never worked at IBM, and you know, um, if anyone there hears this, I have a lot of friends who work there now. Who you know just graduated and went and work there. They're big in, in in Raleigh, so just nothing against it, but it just didn't sound that exciting. And um, so I think it was just yeah, we wanted to be in the game, doing something. But boy, if I had to think back, like what I thought it'd be like, I mean, just totally different. And to your point, on you know not knowing kind of the the innocence of like, mm. I think it's huge because I, I heard something once. People are talking about like regrets you have. They're like, hey, if you could have done that one thing differently, would you have? And you're like, well, in a vacuum, yeah. If I could change one thing, said something differently, and maybe a, a meeting or changed a product strategy, whatever it may be, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I'd go change it. But it's like, how many? Like that path it sets you on. How do you know it wouldn't have changed everything else to the negative? Like mm-hmm. you just never know. So I think, uh, you know, when I think about entrepreneurship, the idea of like, hey, not knowing, just going at it. What I do know is is for sure is like. Things will go wrong. Things will be tough. Like that's expected. I don't know what they'll be. I know, like I'm sure next month, you know, two months from now, like stuff's going to pop up, good, bad, and different. Um, and so I think that's a constant. But like uh, I wouldn't say there was any. Um, yeah, I didn't really have a lot of expectations. But it's been a, uh, it's been fun. But it, it 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 can definitely. I hear from a lot of people it can be like an emotional roller coaster, um, and things like that. So, but and do you
1: experience that yourself?
0: I do. I I would say um, yes and no. Like absolutely, things occur, and I think you know if you look at like one day. I'm 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 curious to hear your thoughts on this, but like I feel like in a single day I get like ten pieces of really good news, like a couple pieces of really bad news, some indifferent news, like, and it's just it's so much. It's almost like neutralizing, if that makes sense. Like, and there's I mean, there's definitely weeks or like there's definitely stretches where like you might be working through a tough situation or like you're know you trying to get something launched and it's like gosh like you're at the one yard line and you know you maybe have to cancel a you know a fun (laughs) weekend and work for like there's stuff that i think is a little bit of a grind but like i I, I personally hasn't been you know maybe it's just all i've ever known right like i've been doing this you know yeah you know i just kind of jumped in i haven't known anything different
1: a comparative baseline so
0: it's hard to say like
1: so yeah. what does create peak stress for you? What sorts of things are you partic- particularly susceptible to in terms of it throwing off your mental clarity and vibe?
0: Hmm, you know it's funny uh, to me, and I think about this all the time, because I'm like, you know, and I shouldn't say there is no like emotions, like absolutely there are, but it's, it's um, I think about like how many times something happen and it's like the biggest deal in the world, like that's how it feels like, mm-hmm. you know, it could, it could just be something silly. Like, you know, you hear someone like on a phone call say something you're like, ah, I wouldn't have said it that way. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. just something like mm-hmm. so immaterial, but it's like, it just like for the next hour, you're like, it's just like eating at you. And then it's like something else happens and it's like that never even happened, never even mattered. And I, I think back to like, there's some stuff that is important, right? Like objectively, like, hey, that was a pretty big deal, pretty important. And even those things, don't really matter anymore. And I'm like, so I've, I'm not perfect at this by any means, but I've gotten to the point now, like, like if something emotional happens, you know, if it's good, all right, ride that wave, ride that energy. And, and I think lean into it. And if it's negative, it's just like, I like conscious I'm like, okay, I know tomorrow, like there's no way I'll care about this. Like, I'm just like, I think that's myself. Like there's no way on Friday afternoon, I like vi- visualize like myself just sitting there. I'm like, it is not going to matter. It is. This has been happening for, a de- like, I've been doing this almost a decade in November. I'm like, yeah, I just know it won't matter. And then, like, it it doesn't immediately, like, it's not like I immediately, I'm like, I don't care anymore, but, like, it helps me just be, like, compartmentalism, like, okay, let's get back, let's focus on stuff and not try and get dragged into a mental state or, you know, spend a whole day worrying about something you just can't change. Um, the nice thing, though, is when you have bullets firing, like, you know. Some you can get news five minutes later, and that can help too so mm-hmm. <laughs> but it goes both ways <laughs> so sorry L-
1: let's talk a little bit about the duality of your charisma and let's say the duality of of um enforcement versus permissiveness you have i fair to say you are an optimist do you self identify as an optimist
0: i um i would say absolutely um an optimist. I, I think that's very fair to say.
1: So, how do you balance that optimism, that drive that keeps people high energy and a great mental state, that keeps the vision in mind in the forefront with the need to manage bad news, accountability? How do you personally relate to enforcement issues when something's going bad, somebody needs to let go, you need to have a hard conversation? What's been the evolution of your skill set in regards to holding people accountable?
0: Hmm. Yeah. So, so I'll kind of touch on the two different things. We can start with the the holding accountable thing. Um, and then I can jump back to kind of the, the optimism piece. But on the accountability piece, and, and this I would say this is more just from experience. And I won't say I necessarily have a ton, right? But, you know, I, um, have gotten enough where I can see a pattern develop where like, most often the things that I've feared about like, oh, there's this hard conversation or hey, you know, we want to make a change. And, you know, as you know, doing this, like no one knows if they're right, but you got to make decisions at the end of the day. And so it's like, hey, we're going to do something different. And like, it may be personnel, you know, it may be a product. It could, whatever it is, it's like, hey, it's a big decision. Not everyone's going to agree. Some people might be upset by it. And, you know, back to what I was just talking about earlier, like I look back and I'm like, some of these things matter in the moment. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, almost nothing is that big of a deal and like you can make a big deal out of something in retrospect It's like oh yeah like we had this this one thing happen and everything changed but i'm like well, what if that didn't happen something probably else would have like if you just stay the course like generally i feel like things start to line up um, and so you know I, i'll try and you know logically i think okay what's the right approach and then the emotions will often drive me like ah you know maybe we won't do that you know and affects the decision making And so I'd say early on, like, it led to poor decision-making. You know, there were events that prop, you know, weren't addressed or, you know, accountability may not have been there. And by no means, you know, would I say I'm perfect at this or or even great at this, but working towards improving on it. Uh, But I think just a logically looking at, okay, last, you know, 15, 20 times we thought this was going to be, like, huge. And, like, all of them, everything worked out. Like, you know, maybe didn't go as planned, but, like, everything did work out at the end of the day. So I think it's bringing that sense of comfort of, like, um you know you you can i think you can take big swings and it's like stuff does work out and maybe we you know we've been fortunate um you know that um generally I, you know i feel like in this business you know things have gone well over time but we, we've we had a lot of events that you know i am mean, i don't know how much you explain this like you wake up on a tuesday and you're like this is the best business in the world i love it like i want to do this forever and then like Wednesday, you're like we're gonna fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's all, it's, you know, it, not that dramatic, but like you know, you get those. Yeah. Like I mean, even in the same day, it's back to that like roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe it's there. It's just to me, I'm like, it's just like, it's kind of like if you're like water skiing or something, you a little you know, you're going so fast, you don't even feel the bumps kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so like, I think, um, you know thinking through those events, that's something I'll, I'll often try to do was like, okay, hey, we may need to make a big personnel change or we wanna do something that like change the way we've been doing things. And the team might be like, hey, like we've been doing this for two years or like, hey, the way we maybe decide to 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 interact with customers, whatever it may be that could be a controversial topic. I always remind myself, I'm like, we've done stuff that crazier or similar level of like potential risk and it's, it's always worked out. So maybe that's not a good idea to approach it that way, but that's kind of how, you know, there is a, there's this show, just um, a little bit of a joke, but it's called Entourage. If you've ever seen that show, I watched it a long time ago. And there's this character in their named Turtle, I think. And um, I just remember, like, the show basically is like they become a movie star and they go broke. Movie star, like, and it happens regular seasons and somehow it's entertaining. But I just remember, like, he would, always, like, uh, the main character would always, like, get this big gig and then having a great time. And then, like, somehow, like, just implodes his life, right? Like, lose the gig, they're on the streets again. And Turtle's like, it always works out, you know. And uh, he he would just always say that line. He's like, "It's gonna work out. It always does." Like it was something like that. And I always think I always think to myself, "I'm like, hey, it's, it's gonna work out. It always does, you know." So again, I. You know.
1: Jeremy Piven. That's uh, that's the name of the actor. Yeah, yes. Lee. Lloyd was my favorite character from that show. Yes. Okay. Lo- the assistant. That he always yells I, yes, at. Yes. Lloyd. That's right.
0: <laughs> it's. I kind of want to watch that again. It's been a while. That was a dude. That was a great. Great,
1: show. great intro music, by the way.
0: Yes. Yeah, dude that's yeah that was a great show but so i think i think that's part of it and then um yeah i think on the optimism stuff i mean almost certainly i think most entrepreneurs are optimists if not all like you kind of have to be um i mean i'm sure we've we've all met entrepreneurs that maybe trend a little more negative than than um than um some folks but generally you know there's so much unknown unknown so many things that can go wrong. I feel like if you're not eternally optimistic, it can be hard to keep the energy, keep pushing things forward. And those events that happen where mm-hmm. like, you know, I may wake up and be like, oh, the world's imploding. It's like, again, I just kind of detach from reality and say, mm-hmm. okay, I know fast forward two months, like, I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I'm sure it'll look great. And I'm, again, sure I won't care. So it's, just, just keep yeah. following the process, keep doing the work, keep making as good quality decisions as possible, work with the best people you can. And, you know, I think things tend to work out. So.
1: Let's lean into the optimism. Let's talk about the law of attraction. Let's talk about projection, visualization, vision. You're bringing something into existence. To be a visionary is to believe in something that has no rational basis. It's Mm. made up, it doesn't exist. But if you say it enough times, if you believe it enough, your conviction infects other people. You clearly have that gift. What does it look like for you to bring on a, a caliber of talent, that's bought in based on the vision. Talk to me about recruitment, talk talk to me about uh, surrounding yourself with talent and keeping them sufficiently inspired to call out the most and the best from them.
0: Mm. So someone on our team told me something, I think this was a few weeks ago, we were doing a, we had like a sales kickoff for the year and then like we did this I'll call it like a go around the table. It's just like, hey, everyone highlight, you know, about everyone one thing. And um, when they got to me, they said, yeah, I can't remember the exact words they used, but like your eternal optimism, like your crazy ideas. Like, you know, when I hear them, I'm just like, these are insane. Like, like in my head, I'm like, it's wild. But like to you, it's just like another Tuesday. (laughs) And like, and then like, you know, not all of them do, but like they've seen them pan out. And I think, um, you know, to me, I just, you know, do what I do in my head. Like, it's just how I think. But I'm like, it was interesting to hear that perspective of like, you know, at least in, in their mind, I was like, hey, there are these ideas that some people would be like, man, that's like a little ambitious. <laughs> but like, you know, you eat an elephant bite by bite and it's like, you fast forward two, three, four years and it's like, mm-hmm. time and time again, they mm-hmm. seem like, wow, like, we're act- like mm. you're not kidding. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. actually want to do this. And I'm like, you know, and so I think that was interesting to hear. Um, and so I, I would say like, you know something that really drives me and i think you know like a ton of people on our team um you know kind of fuel the excitement where it's like you know they're passionate about the products they're passionate about the market they're passionate about the customers and so like yeah i think you know um you have seen it, like andrew like andrew and i um you know my, my girlfriend um always jokes like you know we'll be hanging out and like he'll call me like hey you got like two minutes and I'm like, yeah. And like four hours later, and know, this is not right. like, and this is unfortunately four nights a week, like. but it's like, you know, let's just call me. It's like, you know, we start talking about like, I mean, like three hours later, we're talking about like 2040, like some products. And it's just like, it's fun, right? It's exciting. And yeah. so I think like, yeah. there's a ton of, you know, I, I won't bore like <laughs> there's a bunch of names here, but so many people on the team, it's like, you know, they'll call me and be like, hey, you know, here's some little tactical question I have. And it's just like, we, you know, mm. we just start mm. uh, discussing. So I think for for me, it's like, recruiting, bringing people in who are passionate mm. and it creates this, I mean, energy is so important, I yes. believe. amen. And it creates amen. this flywheel and like, I, I just, I personally just hate negativity and like, I mean, there's always gonna be some level of like, you know, I would say drama or whatever it may be, but like, to me, it's like, it's so important to actively try to push that out and say, hey, w- like, how do we create good energy? Mm. Um, there's this, um, mm. this, um, you can call it like an essay or something. There's this guy called Frank Slootman. I think he's the, or he, he did two companies, the CEO of Snowflake. Now he wrote, it's called like Amp It Up. And I think in it, I was reading it, it's like, you know, A players want to be around A players. A players want, you know, like they get excited about the product. Like it fires them up. Like they're thinking about the shower and it's like, mm-hmm. they want to be around other people like that. Yes. So, yeah, I think the goal is like, you know, as you're recruiting, as you're building, it's like, how do you identify that? You never know for sure. You know, it's when you're in the dating phase of an interview or whatever it Maybe it's hard to know for sure. But like, how do you find those people? And then, you know, naturally that attraction just, it creates a flywheel. Everyone's like, those people, they're gonna recruit people, you know? And I, I mean, I think about like people on our team, like, you know, I'll talk to them like, oh yeah, I just spent like six hours on a Saturday talking X, Y, Z about like, what do you think about this product? And I'm like, mm. it's cool to see like this mm. replicating. Like, mm. I think we have, we we have um and not, every, you know, not expecting necessarily a software engineer or an accountant to do it, this, it, but, It's
1: not an expectation. Yeah. It, what I experience is, mm. Yeah. It's a game that they're playing. Yeah. And if they weren't here, they'd be playing it somewhere else because it's their thing. So there's no coercion. Yeah. You're not right. telling, you're yeah. not telling people be happy, be yes. be, be amped. Like that's it's just point. like their thing. And to me, that's the magic of alignment. Yeah. You know, when you work with somebody where like that's their MO and it's um use is too strong of a word, but like I want to be a ladder for someone to climb. I want to yeah. allow my organization to be a conduit for the expression of somebody else's creative energy and aspiration right to be the the canvas the palette for somebody else to color on that's what gets me going because there's like the magic of collaboration you know
0: yeah i love that That, i like that and you're right it's so organic like it's just it's the way we operate and it's the you know i'm like and that's you know, I mean, I know like when Andrew calls me, I'm like, I know it's not gonna be five minutes. Like every once in a while, like, I know it's not but like I'm like, I mean, it's funner than Netflix to me. I'm like, <laughs> you know, like like I don't know, I just a lot live for it. and like and vice versa, right? Like he doesn't feel, you know, coercive. I think that's a great point. And and I do think um, I mean, I think that's so important to have that organic, that energy. Yes. And and I, I you know a lot of times I'll you know, I'll talk to other business owners, whatever it may be, and sometimes they hear folks be like, you know, they think it's like, oh, it's all about like requiring it is like, oh, the job enforcement. And it's just, but like, I feel like the, the organic, it's going to be a step function, better output too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you're forced to sit in a room for two hours and come up with a creative idea, that's like, it's not the same as like, you can't get off the phone, you know, or like, you know, you sit in a car for two hours after you got to your destination, because you're just like jamming on something. And like, it's, you know, going to create totally different things than, you know, a forced, Hey, let's come up with a new product strategy Mm. or, you know, or let's Mm. come up Mm. with a new way to like, let's just, you know, so I, I think, um, I think you're absolutely right.
1: Creativity is an interesting thing. You can relate to it as a muse that strikes at random hours, fundamentally a function of serendipity. You can view it as a work that you do for me, writing, for example, it's a creative thing that I do that does feel like work. I block out Mm -hmm. time. I do it collaboratively. And it's, uh, I've described it before as like staring into the sun. It's hard. And if I was just waiting to be bitten by the bug to do that kind of creative work, it probably would never happen. So there's definitely some some balance there. For you, where does the creativity come from? Is it more loose and more kind of as the inspiration strikes? Is it more structured, new product lines? What puts you in a place to kind of receive and be a conduit for that kind of inspiration?
0: Mm. You know, a lot of, I, I would say, like when I think about, the, you know, the the creative stuff. You know, this might sound silly, but like a Saturday morning, like I'll go, I like to vacuum my house and you know it's clean, and it's like relatable. You know, it's not. I like, I like
1: to do the dishes.
0: Yeah, I I, uh, I don't know about the dishes, but I'm. Just kidding. <laughs> I, <laughs> but but is it is it is it like a rote activity where your mind can yeah, go? So, so di- yeah, dishes to me, I feel like I, I'm like actually trying to clean. I, I'm a little bit like OCD, so I feel like that when I'm like. To, to like mentally engage, like the vacuuming, like laundry, like it's so weird. Like, I'll do laundry and I'm like, I, uh, there's something about it. It's just like calming to do something so, so simple. Banal. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, but yeah, I mean, sometimes, like, on a Saturday, like I'll just start vacuuming and just my mind starts, you know, I'm like, start thinking about something. And, and I, you know, tough to say with jogs, like, a lot of times it's just, this is just what I think about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what I've been doing for 10 years and it's really where I spend mm-hmm. most of my time. So, I've kind of, mm. to our conversation earlier, like, it's, It's really like where I'd say my mind spends most of the time is like creativity, product, innovation, whatever it may be. You know, a lot of it's business related, some is personal related to other interests I have. But, you know, I'll start thinking about something and I just like, I mean, I can't explain. Like, I'm ecstatic. Like, I'll be like, I'll start pacing my house for like three hours, just like some euphoria. Yeah. It's just, and it's fun. Like, it's like, to me, like, I mean, I love all kinds of things, right? But like, it's arguably like more enjoyable than like, my friends will hate that I said this, but like going snowboarding, like I love snowboarding. It's one of my favorite activities. But like, I'm like, yeah, like I could walk in circles in my house and just think for like hours. So, <laughs> I, oh, I have a question for you on writing. So, Hit like, it. I um, I would you said writing's hard, and I would agree with that. Like, I've you know, I'd say do a fair amount of writing, but I don't necessarily like I don't write a newsletter. I'm not writing a book. There's nothing like I wouldn't say there's any big writing projects, but you know, writing all the time for work, and you know, we do different stuff. Um, and I'd be curious, like from your perspective, um, you said it was hard. Like when did you get into writing and like, what, like mm. did, when you sit down, is it, you know, kind of curious your mindset? Are you like, gosh, like writing just sucks. And like, like my, like my challenge with it's been like what I want to say. And then like, and this is the process I like about it, but like, how do you articulate that simply less words clearly? Mm. Yes, and it's just going to be very It's like it can be frustrating sometimes, just feel slow. But I'm curious, like, do you experience that? What's your, how do you get into it? You know, there's
1: refinement, there's distillation for sure. There's the expansion phase, idea, idea, just puke, word vomit. And then there's the contraction and the distillation. And that is the fine art is it's hard work to simplify something. I think the way I experience it is that I'm good at copywriting. I have the gift of gab verbally and doing it on paper is something that I can hone in on but it is just it's it's just it's serious mental effort and mental hard labor for me it is distinct from the free flowing ideation strategy to take those concepts and distill them into words and to think about what will be received because my fundamental belief about communication is the gap is you can view communication as what i meant to say or you can view it as what was received and if you get accountable enough to view communication as what was received, then you're willing to bridge quite a few more gaps than just kind of communicating in the style that caters to you and feels comfortable. And that's the work of like, how close can you get to the mind of the person reading to make it as accessible and interesting and engaging and inspirational. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of lift. I know I have the capability, but I really have to be. Do you enjoy
0: that like, like mm. when you sit down Are you like, this is fun or?
1: Well, let me put it this way. I have a extremely competent head of marketing named Bryn Erdy, who's actually in the room right now. Yes, And I block out time and I have Bryn on the call with me and I use the high praise of, of editor. There's some babysitting going on. I am on a Zoom call with her sharing my screen forced as a forcing function to get it done. So do I enjoy it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't enjoy it enough to do it on my own. I yeah. enjoy, I, I need some accountability. Yeah. When it's done and when it's over, it's profoundly enjoyable, man. Yeah. It's like a hardcore workout. You're done. You're yeah, dripping in a yeah. sweat. Like this sucks. This sucks. And when you're done, you're like,
0: Whew. all right. So you do feel like that's Relief, my experience riding stuff is like, yeah, there's almost a little like, I'll put it on my schedule, and it's just like almost a little anxiety coming up to it. Yes, it's like, yes. Yeah, I'm just like, oh gosh, like, the creative act. Grind here for four hours.
1: The creative act. Do you and have you the like juice? The I mean, that, that's part yeah. of it. Is like today, do you have the juice? You had it yesterday. You had it all those other times. Will you have the juice today, or today will be the time where you choke? Yeah. And you produce some B level material that will just be a, a mark on your reputation. I mean, even these podcasts that I do, I sweat the possibility of having a guest that doesn't have the goods that can't do the ideological exchange and the interplay back and forth. Yeah. So I think there's there's something to be risked and that's the turn on, but it's definitely a serious mental lift.
0: I, I remember somebody told me, this was like for public speaking, like 10 years ago, they're like, they're like, if you ever get an opportunity to speak, right, whatever it may be, without hesitation, say yes. Yeah. And then the day will come, and they're like, even if you don't prepare a second, like you will go up, you will do it. And when you're done, like you'll be that much better. And yes. More, and like yes. speaking's never been a, you know, I, I've, I haven't really minded that. But for like writing, that's the kind of the way I think about it sometimes of like, I'm like, all right, okay, we're going to write this piece or whatever, like commit to it. And I'm like, I know there's going to come a day where it's sitting on my calendar. I'm like, all right, I have to like buckle up for four hours and like grind through this, but like, Every time I've done it, like that awareness that, like, hey, you got through it last time, you know, it's uh it's uh it's definitely something I want to do more of though.
1: Right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, I don't think I've read much from you, and I'd like to. Yeah. The verbal is great, the but the supply the divine of like that distilled thought, I would love to see that from you. And you know
0: I, what? I'm this might be a little nudge, like, and I I'm sure you know this, like you got I'm sure you social media, like I'm just not like I'm not very active on social media. I don't. I mean, I, I write some stuff, but like, it's not like. I mean, there's certain people. I feel like they're churning out daily content. There's newsletters. Shallow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and well, and some of it I even think good, right? Like, and I'm I'm sitting here. I'm like, what do these people do all day? <laughs> but I guess they do this, and I do, you know.
1: <laughs> some people have editors. Some yeah, people have right. ghostwriters. You know.
0: So, but I um, actually, you're you're probably right. I should. I, it's something I'd like to do more. I just, I, I mean, I don't necessarily have any free time. I mean, like, I'd say every second, somewhat intent, uh, full on like what I'm doing. So I think, you know, it, it's, it's something I'd like to do more of, but.
1: So when you think about what you do hold dear, not the things you've necessarily written down, maybe they're documented, not, but the, in what I've experienced in life is that there's not much worth having dogma about, but there's a small number of things where it's like, this is the flag that you want to plant on the ground and the hill that you want to die on. Mm. What's on that short list? for you, man? What are the things that you just, you're committed and will not be moved for you in business?
0: And are you thinking like, you know, more specific things or more principle-based? Yeah,
1: principle-based. What are the values? What are the things that you hold dear? There are things that are expedient. There are things that are useful. There are things that are means to an end. And then there are things that you are committed to irrespective of the results.
0: I, so I'd say one big thing to me is like, reputation is very important. Amen. And You know, I think of certain times where like I've bitten my tongue, so to speak, and done something very unnatural because I'm like over a 50 year period, I think this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, within a year, it's like almost, you know, undeniably the wrong thing to do. Mm. And, you know, again, I, you know, who knows what I get right and wrong, but, you know, I've had some intense discussions with people around like, hey, how do you do a certain thing? And it's like, you know, and I mean, it could be a lot of things. times I think this comes down to like you know prioritization or like how do you treat a customer you know most often hey, something that's not an easy decision you know it could be money involved it could be people's times expectations and it's like hey how do you respond how do you treat people and, and to me what's important is like 10 years later you know what what's going to add up and there's this compounding effect yes um and i mean sort of screwed tons of things up you know so <laughs> not that i you know i think we get it right but like that's the objective is to say hey what's going to create you know that the best reputation, the best trust over time, you know. And then um, there's mm. this book. I, uh, I think it's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I don't know if you've Ben ever heard Horowitz. It. So I read that book, and, and I, there's a lot of good stuff in there. I liked, and this one part I remember was like, I think it said, "When you eat shit, don't nibble." <laughs> and I was like, that, I you never forgot it. You know, it was like, you know, if if you know, there's a there's something, you know, again, whether it's a customer, team member, it's like. You know, it's better to just... Rip the band Yeah, in. versus trying, you know, dance around. And again, I'm not saying there might be times you're strategically dancing around. Makes mm. sense. And, mm. you know, I think this is the challenging, engaging part of business. Maybe not the fun part, but it's the... It's like writing. It's like once things are done, you're like, okay. You know, maybe it wasn't fun, but it was... There's it's the a right pride of ownership. Yeah. and So I, I would say that's probably the biggest thing is like, I think reputation matters. You know, how you treat people. Um, and sometimes it might be taking... Um, you know, taking the L in the short term, taking, you know, some taking lumps. an ego hit, yeah, whatever absolutely. it may be. Um, <sighs> totally. And so, you know, that's something I strive to do better and better. And definitely don't get perfect, but I think that's important. Um, yeah, I, and I, I think it applies to so many areas of business too. It's not just like these tactical, you know, interactions with people, but. Um,
1: totally makes sense. Very, very relatable. One of the things that I reflect on is both in myself and for my team is worrying about things, choosing to worry about things that are not my job. For example, I think about context. How much context about the customer and their problems do you choose to imbibe? Any vendor here, they're selling something that solves a fairly narrow problem. Mm -hmm. So maybe they'll learn about the stuff in that box. But the reality is, there's a whole host of considerations that are unrelated to your immediate offering, but that give you a level of context, knowledge to understand the problems, needs, wants, and desires of your customers. And if you so choose, are the ladder to climb, the ladder of value, right? So you start with something low level, whatever it is, random example, say it's uh, inspections <clears throat> and you realize, you know, maybe inspections could be tied to a growth. I could help them grow their business. And if they grew their business, what would be even better than that? Maybe some, some profits and what's beyond profits is maybe some work-life balance. And if I can get work-life balance, what's beyond that? Maybe some relational stuff, some legacy stuff. There's kind of a Maslow's hierarchy of needs that intersect with entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and you're ability, your will, and your desire to climb are in proportion to the level of context that you have. But you can look at that challenge and you can say, "Looks like a lot of work. Not my problem. I just want to sell my thing. I want to stay in this lane. What I appreciate about you and your staff is you've chosen to make a huge amount of things that are not your problem, that have nothing to do with wherever you started, you have chosen to make them your business and your problem and you've leaned in and you found ways to monetize related to a bigger set of problems. Did you fall into that? I've followed a similar path and I can't say yeah. it was intentional upfront, but once I got a taste of it, it was kind of addicting. How'd you get down that path?
0: Yeah, so one, I think the full context as you described it, I think it makes all the difference in the world. Like. And to
1: really know what's going on. Yeah,
0: and, and and that's like, you know, when I'm talking about this, like, I'll walk around for four hours, like, I might be like, you'll use inspection, ins- oh, inspections as an example. It's like, I mean, we don't do anything with inspections, right? But like, I've spent hundreds of hours thinking about inspections, like, mm. what you know, how do they work? Why do they mm. work? You know, what, what's the mm. opportunities? And like, you know, 10 years, what does that look like? How does that impact the experience of like a resident? How does that impact the experience of the property manager, the investor? And like, like, I mean, I'll think for property like awareness. like, you know, okay, if an inspect, you know, if you did an inspection this way, you got the reports of the investor, like, what information do they gain? It's like, do they get more excited? They want to buy more property? Does the churn rate flip from like 20% to, you know, negative, you know, positive 20 to mm-hmm. negative 20? Mm-hmm. I don't want to confuse people. Mm-hmm. Instead of losing 20%, mm-hmm. you gain, like, like, that's the kind of stuff I'm like, and you know, it, it all comes together. And I like, I mean, I would say like, to me, it makes... All the difference in the world and there there is you know there, there are i'd say you know folks out there it's just like stay in the lane and mm-hmm. it's like
1: don't get distracted you
0: know and and i focus i mean i, I don't want to say like focus is not important i think you know clear goals and and have you know we do eos and have rocks and things like that so i do think you know, I, you know it's important but in the creative time and thinking through like you know what are all the downstream effects if you know if i move this pebble in the mm-hmm. river so to speak like Where's that water molecule five miles down? You know, it's somewhere different, right? And so I think I've actually, you know, I'd be curious to your take, because this is something I like, you know, um, you know, about what you've done is like, you're in some businesses where I think a lot of people are like, what does, you know, profit have to do with like automation, mm-hmm. CRM, and say, like all these different spaces? And, you know, I'd be curious, like, I have to imagine this is true, but like how, how many times like what you learned over here is like, makes a massive impact over here. And like, you sit there and think, gosh, I couldn't even do what I do over here without this knowledge. I'm curious how you.
1: Yeah, you know, I think as you're saying that, what's coming to mind for me is just thinking about the the, the reality that if you have no plans to expand and you're not going to start anything new and you're selling your, your model, T, your all black Model T, and that's it for all time, maybe you do justify knowing less and worrying about less. But what I've found is that I'm stimulated and I'm fascinated by the full scope of considerations that motivate my client and how I can help them win. And so what I choose to bet on, the order is not, hey, here's a new idea where I can make money. Let me go learn about the context." No, it's like, let me learn about the problem space. Let me get obsessed with the problem space. Mm. Believing that I will be able to monetize a new product line. I'll be able to serve in some way. And for me, that's the right order of operations is to walk in faith, that if you get close enough to the problem and you have the gift, the gift to create, the gift to bring along talent that you can solve. And so I've historically given myself permission to lean in well in advance of me having something to sell or solve a specific problem. And that's intuition. That just kind of feels right to me. But that's kind of how I roll with it.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's uh That's it. I mean, that, that's a good point, though. Like if and if, and I also like I look at some of this stuff, I'm like, I mean, if certain people like if they're happy just doing what they want to do, I mean, I think about the conversation with property managers. How much is it like how many times are the conversation of some people are just like, oh, I need more doors. And it's like, what do you really want? You know, do mm-hmm. you want to have a good lifestyle business? And mm-hmm. so I don't think any of these are wrong answers. Totally. Uh, totally. And, and to your point, I mean, none of the to me, this is all just completely organic. Like, you know, the interest in the business model. Yes, and like, yes. And, you know, the different parties. And so I think it's, of the yeah, it's just fun. <laughs> getting getting myself. obsessed helps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and I think you can, and, you know, I mean, if, if there's folks out there who go, hey, maybe I don't naturally feel that way. Right, right. Know, I think there are ways where, like, you know, maybe if you force it, right, like for a while, and this I'm just thinking on the fly here, but it's like, Hey, do go learn about something.
1: Yeah. And realize,
0: yeah. hey, it does the light bulb finally goes off. Like yeah. I do think some people, you know, could unlock that creativity more by just, you know, saying, okay, I'm hearing that like not staying in the lane, there's value, you know, maybe I haven't done it, but like, hey, why don't I go spend like a week learning about, you know, how uh, you know, rent collections work and that, you know, what's how does the the resident you know experience that may never touch it with a 10-foot pole but like you start to think like you know you see those patterns develop and so i think that could be uh you know for folks that don't naturally do that there could be a way to unlock that i don't know if you've ever researched that or
1: you know the thing that you're saying that just came up for me was you mentioned resident experience people crave order in chaos and so amidst getting obsessed with all these different facets of the business Generally speaking, you need a unifying theory to direct your effort and the problem space you're committed to. The line of inquiry that's expressed itself on your palette has been the resident experience. Mm, I would love to hear for once and all, give me the definitive explanation for your commitment and obsession to the resident experience. Why has this become the high watermark of where you're willing to plant your flag and the, Mm. the fight that you're willing to engage in?
0: Yeah. So, you know, when we look at our business, something we noticed, um, you know, call it, we've been in the property management space, you know, a while now um, called 2015. And, you know, so I wasn't in the business in 2000 2010, but something I've heard talking to a lot of people was like, you know, there's almost no one with over a thousand units they were managing, like as a scattered site, single family manager. Uh, Part of it was technology, professionalization, and so, you know, parking that on the side real quick, like that's some information, let's say, I've gained just talking to people. And then, you know, w- when we came into this, you know, we looked at the business and said, all right, you've got, you know, three parties in this. You've got your investor, you've got your resident, and then you've got the property manager, their team, vendors, that, that collection. And, you know, the perception we saw was, you know, a lot of the industry was just, you know, looking at, okay, I collect the rent, you know, find a resident, collect the rent. So like leasing, application, rent collection, like those are functional things I do. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, it was like the resident was just like in existence and it was really my client is, you know, the owner of the property. And obviously, you know, I, in this space, I think it's more common, in a lot of industries to fire clients, right? I get, mm-hmm. People working, with people's always tough. And um, yeah, there's a lot of different expectations, but it kind of seemed like, hey, my job is just to get this like money in the door
1: the functional, the literal.
0: Very functional and to piece the investor. And, you know, as we were talking about before, like I just, you know, like for fun, like I'm calling up property managers and like, just chatting, hey, tell me about your business. Like, you know, what do you care about? You know, and, you know, as you go down these rabbit holes, you know, you start to see all the interconnections. And, and I would say like, you know, there's so many business opportunities out there and so many things, you know, like, I could sit through with you for 12 hours and be like, gosh, here's 90 different businesses and like totally different categories <laughs> that I think are fascinating or big opportunities. But specifically for Second Nature, we looked at resident experience and said, you know, what we saw the industry leaders doing, talking about was, all right, we have good operations. You know, we're using platforms like yours to start to streamline it. Like, you know, they're leveraging these tools and they're saying, okay, how do we really move the needle? And it's, you know, be more creative, thinking differently. And, you know, so, so we started to see people doing certain things on the resident experience side. And... You know, I think the naysayer might say, Oh, okay, that thing, like it's just one thing, it doesn't matter. And I would say, you're 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 right. One thing doesn't matter. But you know, in aggregate hundreds of decisions and making it a focal point over decades, things will change and they will change dramatically. And so, you know, and, and I think the hard part is like sometimes you you might feel like, gosh, you know, we're not moving very fast, right? And I think language is very important. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like data dictionary mm-hmm. and like, you know, ha- having like, you know, are we all saying the same thing? And like, I just think about internal stuff where it's like, you know, when we talk about things that drive me crazy, like I'll be on a call and I hear someone say something. I'm like, that's not the right word. <laughs> like, we don't say that. We say this. And there's and a reason like, why. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and, and again, the they say like, who cares? Like, they know what they meant. And I agree in communication. Like, hey, did the person get what you mean? Like, okay, then you communicate it. But I'm like... Yeah, but like those little things over time add mm. up, mm. and so you know something you might you know you might have noticed. Maybe we've had this conversation. Like we're very intentional about like resident investor and, and the team, right? And like you know why it's like an investor is a different mindset than an owner, you know. And like if if you if you look at a lot of property managers that I think are excelling in terms of some core KPIs, it's like they're really getting people locked into investor mindset. Like this is a, this is an asset. I understand the returns. I'm committed to this. And I can weather the emotional things that might push me out of the market. You know, oh, the market's hot, let me sell. You know, or ah, that's a big expense. I'm just done with this, right? And so I think, like, those little things are subtle and they add up. You know, I just think about, like, you know, on you know, the investor side, it's like, if I'm, you know, if I'm working property manager for five years and it's like, the they refer to as investor, I start to believe, hey, I'm an investor. Does that slowly start to shift the conversation, start to shift the perception. And I think the answer is yes, you know, as yes, you know, could be wrong. But I think I believe that to be true. And, you know, so if you look at the resident side, it's like we say, hey, there's a big opportunity here, um, you know, to just completely change the game. I think property management, it, you know, doesn't always have the best reputation. And candidly, not all professional managers are great managers, you know, and I'll, I'd say most accidental landlords are not great landlords, right? Um, which I wouldn't expect they are. Right? You know, you do it as a side project. You're not going to have the specification, the process, the systems. And so when we look at, you know, you know, to your point of doing stuff that might not seem like it's right down the fairway, mm-hmm. it's like hey, anything at all that touches, you know, and our, you know, podcasts and different things. We call it Triple Win, right? That was our our lens. We said, all right, why don't we consider everyone? I'm not saying everyone's going to be thrilled, you know, but at least consider everyone in the decision making, the property manager and your whole team. Consider the investor. You know, how are they going to interact How are they going to think about it? And like stacking these decisions over time, I think will make big change. So, you know, back to resident experience, that's just where we put our stake in the ground and said, big opportunity here. It does take, you know, I believe decades. It does take commitment. It does feel like sometimes you're like, you know, why am I doing this? And I think being very thoughtful around, hey, what language do we use? Why do we use it? Right. And some people are almost like, and I, a lot of people just don't get it. Like, you know, there's like, who cares? You know, I'll call it, I'll call it resident tenant, whoever I'm like, and that's something like I won't say I never use the word tenant, but like to me, that's like a no. <laughs> like, I mm. don't use that word. And I think it's mm. just like It's a slight percentage. Like, would you rather be a tenant or a resident? Right. And, you know, that language over time, I think, adds up. So, like, I could go through hundreds of things where we said, hey, we're making a commitment to here's how we, you know, the language we want to use, here's why we want to use it. And yes, you know, some of these things may seem trivial that we do, but it's part of a bigger strategy where, you know, 20 years from now, I think we create really good resident experiences. Like, we have three kind of guiding lights. It's how do we create a resident experience so good that they never want to move? How do you create an investor experience so good? They don't want to sell. They want to buy more. And Mm -hmm. then how do you create Mm -hmm. a team experience Mm -hmm. so good? They want to be in this business forever. And so when you look at those, uh, especially on the the resident side, you know, again, pick any one thing we do, vendor, like by itself doesn't make a big difference. But like if you go to, all right, how do we create this experience where it's like moving and move out, flawless, there's no interruptions. And I'm like, wow, that's better than owning. Like it's emotionless. It's a... um, you know, it's positive only emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like, what are those friction points? How do we reduce those? You know, and then on the flip side, it's like, how are we getting, you know, teams and investors, like, hey, how do you run profitable business? How does that put you in, you know, the position mentally where you can make long-term investments, right? I think some of the things like, you know, you always have debate, right? These are, all, of course, all my opinions, but, you know, the property manager that is more profitable, runs better business. It's like, they can afford to, to do one thing that might be the right thing for an owner. You know, shouldn't say investor, but like they can afford to do that, right? And um, and I think so. It's like all of these things play out, and so that's where like you know, you know, our 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 belief is, over time, we create a uh, professional management so good that eventually all these actual owners go like, I actually it doesn't make sense for me to sell. It's, it's Such a compelling offering, and I think the way you do that is good process. You know, driving good profitability, ROI, and and by the way, it's like I don't think this is a lose lose. I think it's a win. Like you know, as a resident, it's like. People want convenience. They want good experience. I'm like, you know, residents will pay higher rents if it's a great experience. Like, you know, and and so I think, anyways, I could go on. I don't want to Clearly. Go, clearly. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but anyways, like, but this is something, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: Now you're gonna be here solo in a half hour everybody's uh, left that's still talking yeah
0: anyways so uh, i will pause but yes i think it's it's a it's a flag we've planted and, we're very
1: and then there is passion you know and that i celebrate you playing the long game it's something that speaks to me and the beauty that i see in playing the long game is that it's a strategy that requires a clarity of thought if you're going to play the long game playing the long game for money doesn't work i don't have the money now but at some point in the future i get the money what ge- what gives you permission to play the long game is conviction. What do I really, really believe in? It's not. It, there's not a lot. It can't be much, but there's a small number of things that are so compelling. And if I could be involved in that kind of work, it would be enough. Advancing that cause and the way it would cause me to show up in the process to advance that cause, that way of being, that's its own reward. Mm. And that's the fuel and the justification and the stamina to play the long game. And I fundamentally believe that playing the long game is the right play economically. It's the Mm. slow burn, it's the flywheel, it's the compounding. But what I love even more is what it calls out of you in terms of the clarity of thought. You guys have that, that's in no small part a result of your commitment to helping other people. It's a form of service and it makes the industry better and a more enjoyable place to work. So I wanna tell you, thank you for showing up that way. It's improved my quality of life as a vendor in this space to collaborate and work alongside people like you that are showing up at your best, brother.
0: Well, I appreciate it. And uh, right back at you. I mean, like, even just this, I think, look, the level of professionalism here and what you're doing, I think, you know, it raises the bar for everybody. And so I I, uh, I appreciate that. That, that means a lot. So
1: let's enjoy It's a joy. And uh, I enjoyed this one, man. Until next time.
0: Jordan here asking
1: you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me.